Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm your host, Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. Donald Trump dominates media attention on the campaign trail as few candidates ever have, and he's doing so with divisive rhetoric and media antics that are reminiscent of his NBC hit show, Celebrity Apprentice. When the presidency of the United States is at stake and not just a reality show competition, what is the media re- media's responsibility in this pattern of coverage and in considering the visibility and viability of all candidates? Why is media coverage of Trump so superficial? Only recently has the media started looking at his business performance and his campaign claims. What might be the impact of serious media scrutiny of Trump's presidential bid? We're joined today by Jonathan Alter, journalist, best-selling author, television producer, and Daily Beast columnist. Jonathan is also a contributing correspondent to NBC News and MSNBC, and he's also now working on a massive biography of former President Jimmy Carter. With a campaign gaining a great deal of student interest, we're fortunate that Jonathan is teaching a course here at Montclair State on how to write and report on politics. We're delighted that he's joining us today to share his thoughts on the campaign. Welcome, Jonathan. Hello. Thanks very much, Merrill. Uh, So do you accept the premise, as just outlined by me, that media scrutiny of uh, Trump has been limited and hopefully, at least from a public citizen point of view, is about to begin in earnest? Well, I definitely agree with you that the, the coverage of Trump has been terrible. Uh, you know, this is a man with a, uh, a, a long record of uh, not just distortions, but flat-out lies that go back to his business career. He um, knows virtually nothing about any serious public policy issues. Uh, he is coarse, rude. Um, outside um, the boundaries uh, of American politics. He's driving uh, our discourse to new lows. Uh, he would be, um, well, he's, he's just not temperamentally fit to be president of the United States. I mean, this is a hard job. And one of the things that the press is supposed to do is to vet candidates. It used to be in the old days, you know, in the early 20th century, 19th century, that candidates for president were vetted by the bosses, by people who, you know, ran Jersey City or Chicago or political bosses who would decide among themselves, uh, you know, whether somebody was capable of being president or not or whether they would get the country in a lot of trouble. In, in recent decades, that job of vetting has largely fallen to the press. And that's why you see stories about, you know, the backgrounds of the candidates, personalities of the candidates. But what's happened is that the media has become so fragmented. There's so many different sources of information that the authority of the, of the mainstream media has been completely eroded. And the, the role of vetting used to be done by the big newspapers, the news magazines, the commercial broadcast networks, they now still exist, 
but they don't have anywhere near the authority and power that they used to. So people just go to media that confirms their biases, and they never really get, uh, you know, the vast majority of voters in the middle who aren't paying close attention uh, are not being um, told uh, the truth about Donald Trump. And it is very, very troubling. I hope it's going to change now that he's won some primaries and is a serious threat to be the next president. And then we're going to see a new level of coverage. And it's starting to begin. Uh, there's a piece that I just got today uh, on my phone that I haven't read yet by Stephen Brill, who's one of the great investigative reporters in the United States, where he just completely eviscerates uh, Trump from, from reading the beginning of it, you know, with lots of facts uh, about what a scoundrel he is and why he's unfit to be president. And I hope that those kinds of pieces are spread more widely. Jonathan, to, to help our listeners, where is that piece? Where might they find it? You know, <laughs> I'm going to have to look at my phone to find it Find it for you. I will. Don't. I, we'll I, add it later. Don't. From him. Yeah, I'm not even, honestly, I'm not even sure it's run yet. I got an email from Steve this morning um, outlining what's in this piece that was attached. And, you know, just a very quick summary of what he's got in the piece. And as I said, I haven't read it yet. I haven't opened the attachment, so I'm not sure where it is. It might be uh, in uh, Time magazine where he's been writing lately. I'm just not sure, but I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that you see it. Okay, but let's pull apart what you said before. Um, the large national uh, text media, let's call them, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, remain relatively robust in their ability to cover political affairs. The television networks have reporters, human beings, journalists, purportedly, on the trail with each of the major candidates. It remains mysterious to me why the biggest of media, who certainly purport to take the coverage of the presidential campaign seriously, measured by the scale of their coverage, why has it been so difficult to get from them stories at least about Trump's history? Well, I mean, I think if you talk to people at the New York Times, they'd say, we've had those stories, and, but not enough people read them. Well, that, that is a so journal, that's a journalistic crutch, isn't it? Because few people read those stories west of the Hudson River because they were focused on New York City affairs, and it's irresponsible of them to use that as a shield. So what do you think they should be doing? Because, you know, I just had some conversations with some New York Times editors who agree that they need to be doing more. What should it be? Well, they, they shouldn't hide behind the journalistic shibboleth of we've already run that because the reality I, is... I said that to them, actually, uh, and they agreed that they need to find some kind of a new journalistic um, apparatus, convention technique to allow them to repeat stories. I mean, they do rationalize it by saying if you go to our website, which is where most people go, and, you know, you put Donald Trump, you'll see all of our old stories, um, you know, about him that are easily accessible there. Basically what's happened, Merrill, is that, and this is just a kind of a technological change, the responsibility for 
informing the public has shifted from news organizations to the public itself. And I, I think some of the rationalization that you hear is legitimate. In other words, if you're poorly informed about Donald Trump, it's not the media's fault, it's your fault. But the question is, what do we do in a democratic society, small d democratic society, when people are poorly informed and because they don't want to take the time to go out and look for the the stories uh, that ran in the past that are available online about somebody they don't want to because they're they're living in such a short attention span world. And so Trump takes advantage of that. He takes advantage of the fact that people forget. They're already forgetting about Megyn Kelly. You know, they'll forget about the Pope in about a week. Everything is written in disappearing ink in this speeded up culture. And so it, it gives demagogues and uh, strong men, you know, a, a leg up because there's very little accountability. The accountability is there, but only for the voters who want to go and find it. And that's why media literacy is so important and why the kinds of things that you're doing at, at MSU are very important. You're equipping people to understand that they need to go out and find this themselves if they want to be well-informed. And, you know, that if they, even aside from Trump, you know, that if that if they want to be for Bernie Sanders, they should be for him for real reasons, not just because he's cool, but because they've taken a hard look at his proposals and they think they're better. Well, you know, let's... If, they, if they want to then be for Sanders, great. But, you know, what, what worries me is that there's a lot of ignorance that is being covered up by people's kind of superficial assessment of candidates based on how they come across or who they think is cool or who they don't trust on site or, you know, who maybe said one thing that... uh you know, didn't sit right with them. Like John Kasich said yesterday, he made a dumb remark about women coming out of their kitchen out of the kitchen to support him. It was dumb and arguably offensive. That means that every Republican should reject uh, all of his accomplishments as governor of Ohio just because he said something stupid. You know, one day. So voters just need to get more sophisticated about the way they absorb media. My, that's my big concern. Let, let's let's have just one more pass before we move on to other things. At this question of of where the press is here, isn't another issue here that when the political press looks at Rubio or Cruz, they are comfortable with and familiar with and knowledgeable with his legislative and political history. The world Trump comes out of, with many, many years of being involved in New York City affairs and uh, obviously the construction and development industry, is an entirely different world. So I just read in The Guardian a story about Trump and the Central Park jogger case and how out of the box and irresponsible his rhetoric and his money was in trying to jail and even convict the people ultimately set free in, in that whole case. Um, I didn't know about that, and it was a long time ago, but that's part of a history that 
the political press just doesn't know, and I say that somewhat in their defense. What do you think? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's their job to know it. I mean, I knew about it, and, uh, you know, it should be revisited in, in a series of stories. There should be stories about his past. I mean, you know, somebody on your faculty, Steve McCarthy, did a, uh, a very good documentary um, for MSNBC uh, that was narrated by Chris Matthews that I appeared in that got quite a number of those stories. It didn't get that one, but there's so many to choose from. They couldn't get everything in, you know? So one of the stories that that documentary did have that is worth knowing is when he tore down Bonwit Teller to put up Trump Tower, there were these beautiful, priceless friezes, these sculptures on the exterior of Bonwit Teller, and he smashed them rather than saving them as the museum, uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art wanted. It was like, remember when the Taliban smashed those uh, those big sculptures in uh, in Afghanistan? Of course, of course, Tree, you know? of course. You know, this was the same thing. And, um, you know, so in, in Steve McCarthy's uh, documentary, there's, um, there's, you know, video of Tom Brokaw, you know, 25, 30, 30 plus years ago like asking him on the Today Show, why did you do this? Like, and Trump's answer is pathetic. And then I add, you know, there's a soundbite for me adding, he used illegal immigrants uh, uh, to do his demolition, you know, which is something that I think voters should want to know. They also need to know that he inherited his money. I think most Americans think he's self-made. They like the fact that he's a self-made man. He's not self-made. You got, uh, you know, a million dollars, which described as nothing when he was very young. And then a few years later, he got $20 million from his father, I guess, in his father's will or something. If he had put the money that he inherited from his father into, like, a a mutual fund, he would have made more money than he made in business. He's not even a successful businessman. His business has went bankrupt three times. And that's something that people kind of vaguely know, but he starts to say, well, it wasn't me who went personally bankrupt. Well, people need to know all the people that he stiffed. I think it's one of the things that uh, Steve Grill does in his article that I just told you about that I haven't read. He, he catalogs all of the people that Trump stiffed. When you stiff bankers and creditors, when, you, when your company goes bankrupt, you're not just stiffing rich people. You're stiffing a lot of small contractors in Atlantic City, you know, and other places. Little small businessmen who are getting, you know, 25 cents on the dollar in the bankruptcy, 10 cents on the dollar. They're just getting stiffed by Donald Trump. We need to know about that. So if you want to know a little bit more, just another resource, there's a documentary that came out in 1990 that I'm also in. It actually didn't come out. Trump was successful in squelching it. It finally was made available online for free last year. And if you if you just put in Trump the documentary or Trump the name of the documentary is Trump What's the Deal? It's uh, an hour and ninety minutes just on his business deals and his uh his record in New York in the seventies and eighties. Very uh very, very critical and very much worth watching. Trump What's the deal in the documentary? 
Well, thanks for all those resources, Jonathan. Thanks for participating in our program uh, today and uh, in our school. Um, your teaching and work is valued, and we look forward to seeing more of you, of course, on campus, but also on uh, NBC and MSNBC. Thanks. Well, I just wanted to quickly say before I, I go that, uh, you know, I, Montclair students have been fantastic. I've, been, I've got a really good class. been really impressed by... Uh, my students and um you know your campus is in the right place on this sorting through the issues trying to understand how to uh absorb all of this in a changing world so thanks for having me uh, that's uh, that's great to hear. Thank you, Jonathan, and uh, we'll uh, see you on campus soon. If you would like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.